Okay. Keep me straight over there. Um, welcome again, everyone. And uh, we're going to uh, move in our time of preaching the Word this morning. So if you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and open up to Luke or find it in your app. Luke chapter 4 is where we're going to be and uh, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Luke. We are going to uh, skip one section um, for now. Um, for those who are paying close attention, we'll say, well, you didn't even talk about the genealogies. Well, that is a message that Brian has prepared, and uh, he had to be out. Um, so he uh, um, is going to do that when he comes back. And it won't be next week. It'll be in two weeks, I believe. But we didn't miss it. We didn't forget about it. We didn't just say that that scripture is not useful. We believe it is very good and edifying, as all scripture is. So we will circle back to that. Um, but we felt like that thematically it would not be terribly disruptive to uh, come back and pick that up. So we're going to move into chapter 4 and um, look today at the, t- the section often described as the temptation of Jesus. Um, the sermon I've entitled today is Biblical Solutions to Satan's Strategies. Uh, I feel good being back to an alliterated title. Um, I have missed those for a couple of weeks. So, you know, it's kind of something I just, and I just sort of stumbled into this one. So I'm like, oh, triple alliteration. I love that one. So uh, definitely do that. Um, but I believe it will be helpful. It was definitely a, a great study for me as I've looked at what's a pretty familiar passage for most people. Uh, I think a lot of us uh, have heard this narrative many, many times. It's recorded in three of the four Gospels. And so anytime you do a study through one of those three, you're going to come across it. So I think it's a familiar passage. But uh, I invite us all to take off our church ears and just start paying attention in a fresh way today. I believe God will have some things for us. Um, so let's go ahead and stand, and we will read this section, Luke 4, 1 through 13. And then we will... Uh, um, dive into it. <clears throat> the Bible tells us, oh, read with me as the words should be on the screen. So Luke 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, Command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So as we uh, look at this again, familiar passage, again, often called the uh, temptation of Jesus, um, Dwell on that word for just a minute, temptation. What do you think temptation means? Someone 12 or under. What do you think temptation means? 
Anybody? Nobody? Tough question. Never been tempted. Okay. How about that? All right, how about a teenager or younger? What do you think a temptation means? You feel the urge to do something, right? A, a desire, a leaning, a, a draw that's maybe even, maybe outside yourself, or maybe from within your own, but it's basically uh, an inclination. Um, I think that biblically we take it a little further than that. And uh, as we're going through this, um, I found a uh, definition that uh, might be one of my favorite definitions. And I uh, don't put it up there just yet, but we will come to it shortly. Um, because, you know, when the Bible said in Luke, in verse 13, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So this is used in a specific sense. And in order to understand what he's being tempted to and from and that kind of thing, we understand, understand God's plan for us, okay? It is a plan for abundant life. It's a plan for joy. It's a plan for peace, okay? But it is not always the way we would plan it. Can I get an amen on that? God's plan is not always our plan. His ways are higher than ours. Because ultimately, if we boil it down, really God's plan is that we deny ourselves, we take up our cross, and we follow him, Right? That, that's basically God's call for us. That's his plan for us. And we know that it is for our ultimate good. It will result in abundant life, joy, and peace. But in, light of, in thinking of that, this biblical definition I have found, um, that I think is great, I'm going to share it with you, should be on the screen now. Temptation is a suggestion that I leave God's path of the cross and eternal fulfillment for the path of indulgence and immediate fulfillment. Temptation is a suggestion, could be from without or come from within, that I leave God's path of the cross and eternal fulfillment for this path of indulgence and immediate fulfillment. Okay? So that is essentially what the devil was tempting Jesus to do. We're trying to draw him away from God's path. God had a plan for, for Christ. Um, Christ came for a purpose and had a plan laid out for him. And here Satan is trying to, to entice him away from that. And... In, in keeping with this, you know, it's, uh, we look at the beginning, there's kind of a, uh, a perfect storm for temptation. Uh, I want to speak just real, real practically, almost even maybe psychologically more than scripturally for just a second, because we're always susceptible to temptation just by virtue of our human nature. But sometimes circumstances can make us more susceptible to temptation. Sometimes temptation can seem so powerful we can't resist it. And as we look at these first things, what was Jesus' physical condition when this temptation arose? What were some characteristics of his physical condition? He was hungry, absolutely. He was weak. He went and just missed a meal and was hungry like for the next meal, right? He was, he was, you know, emaciated probably. We'll look at that in just a second, but he was weak. What else? Yeah, he, he, was, he might have been, I mean, he was, he was kind of out in the wilderness, so he had an opportunity to sleep, but he was certainly tired from, not, from malnutrition in a sense. So yeah, tired, fatigued, what else? Yeah, I don't know what sort of shelter was out there. Probably not much out in the wilderness, for sure. Um, who was out there with him? He was alone, right? Yeah, lonely. So um, we, we see a lot of these things. Well, as the passage says, he was 40 days 
How many of y'all have ever gone on a fast of some kind where you didn't eat? Anybody ever gone for 24 hours? How about 48 hours? 72 hours? More than three days? As long as I ever did, too. All right, everybody dropped off. Anybody longer than three days? No? Okay. Um, So there have been some people who would say that people can't survive without food for 40 days. And so they'll look at this and say, well, that can't be true. People can't live without food for 40 days. I would first point out the people attacking Scripture in this way have probably never tried it. They have probably never gone without food for 40 days to prove that it can or can't be done. But I never have, but I do know that there are people who have. Um, Anybody ever heard of hunger strikes? Anybody heard of these things? Sometimes activists or sometimes prisoners, political prisoners particularly, will advertise and go on a sort of a hunger strike where they refuse to eat. And so a couple of uh, famous ones I found um, in the Irish Republican Army. There was a, you know, patriot, terrorist, depending on which side you're on, Bobby Sands back in the 70s. He and nine of his IRA members had been arrested and thrown in jail, and so they were going on a hunger strike. They made it 66 days before Bobby Sands died of starvation. So, you know, about, you know, 50% longer than what Jesus um, fasted here in the wilderness. But uh, the uh, longest one, anybody want to take a guess of how long the longest hunger strike ever was? And this was someone who um, ultimately was was force-fed through a tube, but they went for, they set the record for the longest voluntary denial of food of their own. Anybody want to take a guess how long it was? It was back in the early 2000s, through the, through the 2000s. 80 days, no, much longer. Much longer. Much longer. Longer than a year. This lady's name was Erom Chanu Samila, um, Shermila. She's nicknamed the Iron Lady of Manipur. And she went for 500 weeks just under 10 years, refusing to eat. In India, it's a crime to commit suicide. So as she was in prison, they actually get put an installed an NG tube and fed her through the tube. Um, but she refused to eat anything of her own volition for 10 years. So she has, has the official record for the hunger strike. But uh, about the longest one that I had seen before that was uh, I got another guy in India went 116 days before he finally gave in and ate. And a lot of these people, like I say, are political prisoners, so there's not many pictures of them. You wonder, what does the human body look like after 116 days of not eating? Um, are you asking a question? Or? Yeah, absolutely. So there is a famous person that many of you in the room know that went for 120 days, give or take, with only eating an apple a day and water and black coffee. Anybody know who kind of made a little name for himself doing that, not for political reasons, but for work reasons? It was an actor. It was an actor, yeah. In fact, if we uh, go ahead and put it up here, this, uh, we know Batman, Christian Bale, right? Well, he had this little-known role in a little movie called The Machinist in which he got down to 120 pounds. 100 pounds difference here is about five months between these two pictures. And uh, so this was after four months. He had one apple every day, water and black coffee. 
so that's disturbing. You can move on to the next slide. But I just wanted to say it is possible. The scripture is not you know, laying out some impossible scenario here. But you can see from that photo, I'm going to go back to it if you remember, that photo, you can see Jesus certainly was feeling the effects. He probably wasn't that emaciated, but certainly, like you said, you're this pastor you knew who did that. It, has a, it takes a toll. It's more than just like we like to fast on Wednesdays. It was far more than that. And um, so this perfect storm for temptation, again, just sort of practically, I heard this years ago, and it's helped me some, so I want to share with you today that uh, there's, there's four big areas. Lots of things, lots of factors can contribute to um, uh, a temptation of sorts, but sometimes you feel like, oh, I'm just, I just can't resist whatever thing it is you're being tempted to do. I encourage you to halt. Look at H-A-L-T, okay? And when you halt, look at these. Are any of these factors maybe applicable that you could easily resolve, easily alleviate, and possibly mitigate the uh, temptation? God does tell us that with the temptation, will give us a way to escape. And sometimes it's as simple as, I'm hungry, I'm angry, I'm lonely, or I'm tired. So sometimes you just need to get something to eat, you need to do something to cool off, talk to somebody, um, or get some rest. You know, sometimes those are sometimes our way of escape. So um, just keep that in mind. Halt. When you feel like, oh, this temptation, I just can't resist. Whatever it is you're struggling with. Hey, am I, hang- am I un- hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? Those things can easily be alleviated sometimes and can uh, sometimes help. So um, certainly Jesus, we see hungry, lonely, tired. For sure, three of those four were definitely uh, applicable there. But let, let's spend a little time. Let's look at Satan's strategies. What, what did he do? What did he approach? Obviously, we know the first one he says to make these stones bread. Um, but I, I, and there's lots of different, I mean, you, you, watch, you read commentaries, you, you listen to sermons. People break this down any number of different ways. They're all right. I, I, I mean, they're, they can all, I'm not saying everyone's right. But all those are good. This is not unique. But this is just, uh, as I was studying, this is kind of what Lord laid on my heart. And I didn't see this anywhere, but I think it's definitely consistent with Scripture. So I want us to look at it in more of a strategic view. Instead of specifically, what did Satan tempt him with? You know, what was his real approach? And really what the first one was when he says, make these stones bread, he's tempting Jesus to doubt God's provision. Okay, the Spirit led him into the wilderness. He didn't just wander out there on his own. Uh, maybe I'll go out here and you know, see how long I can go without food. The Spirit led him. He was definitely led of the Lord, led of God out there. And first off, could Jesus have done it? Absolutely. He turned water to wine. He multiplied the bread and the boys' lunch to feed thousands of people. So this was not something Jesus could not have done. At any point along the way, he could have done that. Um, so it's not a question of whether or not Jesus could. Um, but it's Satan tempting with this idea that God's provision is insufficient. Okay? Um, Jesus was led there for a purpose. But what Satan is planning in mind is, look, God's got you out here. And this thing, look, it's just gone on too long. I mean, look, you, your, your, your robes are hanging off of you. They always hang. Robes, I don't know how that works. But I don't know if you get different size robes or if you had to get it taken in. I don't know. But his, I'm sure his clothes were fitting differently. Look, you know, you're... You're getting emaciated. It's just gone on too long. You need to find your own solution. Or it's just gotten too hard. You know, whatever it is, this is, this is not, or certainly what God brought you out here for. Not this level of difficulty and challenge. Okay, it's gotten too hard. Or, you know, God might have forgotten about you. You know, God just may have forgotten about you. And it's time for you to just take care of things yourself. Worse yet, God just probably doesn't even care. 
Now, these are strategies that Satan uses with us all the time. You know, we find ourselves struggling with God's provision. You know, we may be like Elijah on the run, you know, which God sent him to the little brook, and he didn't have any food. Well, but there, he brought the ravens. It probably wasn't what he would have, you know, you know, laid out for food, but God provided. Or maybe like Paul, when he was worn down with the thorn in the flesh and prayed multiple times that God would remove this from him, and God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. You know, when we are at the end of our provision, that's when God's provision is so sweet and so appreciated because it's, we, we can't be of ourselves. As long as we're providing for ourselves, what do we need God for? Right? And we're America. And Americans, we're typically self-sufficient. And pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Independent people. You know, we don't need help from nobody. But we all need help from God. And so sometimes God will lead us into situations where we get to the end of ourselves and we have nothing to rely on except Him. And at those times, we may be tempted to doubt God's provision, God's love, God's care for us. The fact was, He didn't have enough food. <laughs> Jesus was starving to death. Now, he didn't, it didn't continue unto death, but He was starving. He did not have adequate food. But when this idea came, and this was presented that, hey, you know, I know you think God has you out here for a reason, but maybe that's not really the reason, and so you should just probably, you know, go ahead and meet your own needs, and you should probably just go ahead and indulge your own appetites, then what does Jesus say? Well, man doesn't live by bread alone. Yeah, I'm in a body, but I'm not just a body. Right? My body has appetites, and those are good oftentimes and healthy. They're God-given. I'm not going to be a slave to them. And here's the thing. We can never divert from God's clear instruction to satisfy and a physical appetite. Okay, we should never divert from something that God has clearly instructed us to do to simply satisfy a physical appetite. Why? Because those physical appetites, that's not who we are. That's what we live in. Okay, but our bodies are just a part of us. We are not exclusively, we're not a naturalistic being. We are body, mind, and soul. And so we don't want to, we don't want to, crush our spiritual side to satisfy our physical side, okay? Without, we, we can't really survive without either one, so we need both. You know, this, this can often, you know, be seen in today's society. I mean, a lot of this we're going to see, but Satan's, you know, God's provision and stuff, these are so attacked by people today. I think of the, the rampant waves of pornography going on where people say, well, God, Satan says, well, God hasn't provided for you, you know, a way for, you know, um, sexual fulfillment. So just turn on that screen and just, I know the Bible says don't lust after women. Don't, that, look where you are. God hasn't provided. Therefore, you've got you, to meet your needs. You've got to take care of these physical appetites. That's a lie from Satan. Okay? That is not something that we need to give place to. Man does not live by bread alone. You are not just your body. You, you're, don't sacrifice your spiritual well-being on the altar of a physical appetite. You know, I think of divorce. You know, divorce is, there's a, a wave of divorce, that's, I mean, a, a curse of divorce seemingly over our whole country. Over half the marriages end in divorce, and it's, the numbers aren't different for Christian people. You know, they're about the same for those who, who are professing to know the Lord. And you know, 
in 80% of the divorces, the facts are, no picking on people, but the facts are 80% of the divorces are initiated by the women. Lots of different reasons, but I know that a lot of those are this attitude that, well, I don't have not being provided for well enough. I got stones. I need some bread. If I kick this guy out, I may go find somebody better that's got more bread. That's a common approach to marriage. That not that we become one and we then live together. It's a common approach that, well, I got mine and they got theirs, and if it works out, great. If not, I'm out. If they don't meet my needs, then I'm out. You know, if God has given you a spouse, that is a blessing. And you should not take it so lightly as to be willing to throw that away. You've got to fight for it. Don't sacrifice a beautiful thing that God has given you for bread. Now, that's, an, I, I, that's a generalization. No, no uh, I don't, the generations can always have problems. But the point is I'm making is that when God leads us into a situation, he's going to provide for us. Okay? Um, that's not to say we can't try to find a better job. It's not to say we can't you know, think and try to... But we should, the point is we should never divert from God's clear instruction to satisfy physical appetite. I think that's the point of, that I want us to come away with here. The solution to this strategy of Satan is that no matter else what happens, what else what happens, you know, we're talking about divorce, it's clear that we should not be divorced. Oh, I don't like this, I don't like that. Okay, figure it out. Work it out. Get some help. Get some counseling. Okay? But don't just sacrifice that on the altar of an appetite. It's too precious. Okay? So then we look to the second strategy of Satan in which he tells Jesus... Bow down before me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world, right? All the kingdoms of the world. Why did Jesus come to earth? What was his plan? What was his purpose in coming to earth? What was he going to do when he died on the cross? Yes. To redeem the world. Why is the world, who's who's oppressing the world right now? Satan, right? So here he's got Satan right before him. He's like, I'll give you all this. I don't want to do all that cross. You don't do all that. People picking on you and hating you and scheming against you. You don't have to worry about all that. Just, just bow down right here, and it can all be yours. You know, I'll, I'll, give, I'll relinquish it all to you. It's very, very subtle, very, very enticing. A chance to avoid the cross. I mean, he came to redeem it, and here he came... Okay, but it's, Satan always twists it. He's like that evil genie that you see in the movies that always says, yeah, make a wish. Let's see where I can, where you misspeak and say something wrong and I can twist it away in a horrible way and ruin your life forever because you didn't dot the right I or cross the right T. That, that, that's Satan. That's how he is. And certainly if Christ had done that, sure, those would all be given to, to Jesus, but who would Jesus have belonged to? Satan. So Satan still would have had it all. Okay? So it was, it was a bum deal from the get-go. Okay, but this is what he's saying, doubting God's plan. This is the temptation. Okay? To doubt God's plan. You know, it comes to us as, look at your situation. That, this cannot be God's plan. 
It can't be. Hey, try this. Let's try something else. You know, the path can be hard at times. You know, God never promises that it's always going to be easy. But he does promise that he's going to be with us. Okay? As a Reformed Baptist, that's one of the strongest things I hold to in my faith is that, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us there will never be hard things. It tells us that all things work together for those who are his, for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. There is nothing bad that without a purpose. And there's nothing bad that's out of God's control. And it may look bad right now, but we can trust that God has a plan, that he's working through it, he hasn't forgotten about us, and he's going through it with us. A lot of situations come up in which people say, this can't be God's plan. You know, that's really pretty much what the abortion industry is built on. Well, this can't be God's plan. Unplanned pregnancy? Let's just take care of that right now. You don't have to go through those nine months of embarrassment and shame and difficulty and then raising a child for 18 years. You don't have to do all that. Just come here, take a pill, a little procedure. It's all taken care of. That is not God's plan. And we know here that we, we preach and we, everyone knows this, but abortion is murder. You're murdering a child created in the image of God. Okay? So when you're, Satan comes along and says, hey, here's an easy way out. It's not. It's a path that leads to destruction of the baby now and of the mother over years. Many other things that attack God's plan. The whole transgender movement. Oh, my goodness. You're... you're you were assigned as a boy at birth. No, we discovered that you were a boy at birth. Okay? This can't be God's plan. You, you, you like the color pink. Or you feel this way. Or you feel that way. So, let's just, let's just do our own plan. You know, um, folks who struggle with gender confusion, that's a real thing. Okay? But the fact is, we need to help them through that. Particularly as children. We need to guide them and teach them. God did not make a mistake when he made your body, mind, and soul. You are who you were created to be. Let's see what that means and what that looks like. It doesn't mean we start mutilating things to to try to change God's perfect plan. Okay? It's... I've preached on it before. And it's abuse, especially for children. Um... I don't know if you've seen the latest things on Jazz Jennings, who was probably the poster child for youth transitioning over the last eight or ten years, had a TV show, um, reality show, about this boy's life who was early transitioned as a girl and uh, now is just having more and more problems. But this person, Jazz, is so far down that path, there is no easy way back or forward. And we should be praying for people like that because... He was abused, really, by his parent, by his mother and the doctors. They did experimental treatments on him. They're now having serious repercussions, and they really have no way back. These come from this strategy of Satan that says God's plan doesn't work. God's plan is wrong. Let's go my plan. Let's go this way. Let's get off of that plan, and let's get... And his, his temptation is to step away from God's plan and to go this way. Um, you know, homosexual relationships, even unbiblical heterosexual relationships, none of these are in God's plan. 
All of these are a deviation, a violation, and a path that leads to destruction. Listen, people say, but I feel this way. Sure, I get that. Yeah, I feel temptation to sin sometimes too. And people can be confused. But, you know, what we have to realize is that, you know, body, mind, and soul, we're broken from sin. We're broken people. And the, the, the path to redemption is not going to be down some unproven medical path, okay, or some indulgence of deviant lifestyle, okay, or a lack of respect for those of the opposite sex. The path to redemption starts with Jesus and continues as we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. That is the path to redemption. I just want to say, I mean, my heart goes out to, to young people or anyone who may be struggling with gender confusion or homosexual attraction and tendencies. Listen, there is hope and there is help here for you. And I would, I would say, if you're struggling with that, then please speak to someone. Come speak to me. Come speak to, you know, one of your parents, someone you respect and trust. We want to see you get through that and not be burdened by that. But Satan's way out to say that, oh, well, this, this is not God's plan for you, is a lie. I think sometimes as, as Christians, as church people, sometimes we don't communicate our desire and our willingness to help and to love people through those difficulty times, and we sometimes come in with a heavy hand of judgment. And I want to say that if, if someone is struggling with gender confusion, that's not sinful. That's confusion. That means you're human. Okay, we're oftentimes confused by things. Um, but we, can, we need to get get help for those and have help from people who understand that God's plan okay lines up with your reality okay your reality isn't apart from God's plan okay and so you may need help to try to align those together and we would want to help you understand that and talk through that and get you help so please speak to me or speak to someone I don't know if anyone's struggling with that I just want to put that out there that you know struggling with those things is, is not wrong or bad or evil and if you come and talk about those things, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm going to hug you and love you, and we're going to talk and get through those things as best we can. So the church should always be a safe place for people to confess sin and to confess temptation and to get help. Remember being lonely? You know, if you have these types of situations and you're in a church, sometimes you're going to feel so isolated because you can never talk to anyone about that. I want to let you know that's not true. That is a lie from Satan that the church will love you and help you. So please speak to someone. Don't think that, oh, I can never speak to someone about that. You can. You can. You speak to me. Okay? And lots of other people here, but certainly um, to me. So I want, to, I want everybody to hear that, that, again, being broken, we, we, we struggle with things. And struggling is, struggling means you're fighting against it, right? Struggling is a good thing until you overcome if you have a struggle and you don't overcome, then you succumb. And we don't want anyone to succumb to those things. We want them to overcome those things. And sometimes that requires help. So our third strategy of Satan that we see in this passage, you know, um, twice now Jesus has refuted the temptation with Scripture. And so look how the devil gets a little smarter now. He says, okay, I'll bring some Scripture in my own. Okay, and takes him up and says, listen, just jump off because the Bible says nothing bad's going to happen to you, right? 
So, so what is this strategy, really, if we break it down? Really, it's, it's the temptation to doubt God's Word. Okay? If you really believe that you could jump off there and nothing bad would happen, then why do you need to do that to prove it? Right? So really, what, what he's pushing at here, what he's tempting us to is, do you really believe what God says? Do you really believe? Of course, he's twisting Scripture, okay? But this is his, this is his strategy from the beginning. We're in the garden. He used the same strategy. Oh, did God really say, is that really what God said? I don't think that's what he meant. Oh, he probably, he probably didn't. That's not what he meant. He's why, here's, he said that, and here's what was going to really happen, and here's the truth. Okay? So, that's really what we see. But I, I do want to give a, a practical word here. Okay, I could do the same thing today. I could say, well, the Bible says if you honor your mother and father that you'll live long on the earth, therefore you can't die as a teenager who's honoring your parents. So go out and jump off the bridge with no parachute. Go out and do all sorts of crazy things and nothing bad is going to happen to you. God's Word <laughs> offers promises of blessing, not protection from stupidity. Okay, can I just say that? <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that plain enough for everybody? God's Word gives us promises of blessing. You know, if you honor your parents, you're going to be blessed on earth in your life. Does that mean you never have a problem and you can't die? No. It's not a protection from stupidity. It's a promise of blessing. And that's the sense we should take these things in. But this is an attack on God's Word that has been going on since the garden and has never stopped, and we should never expect it to stop. You know, did God really say? You know, today we hear these things. Well, yes. Oh, um, I was thinking that uh, God, um, the devil waited until um, 40 days to tempt him. He was, he was, um, what, what I want to say, um, he was weak. His mind was going crazy. He was weakened. He was weakened, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's certainly... Yeah, absolutely. But we see this today throughout, um, you know, the educated folks will come and say, well, you can't really rely on the Bible. It's been corrupted. You know, it's uh, all of the Bible can't be true, you know, and we just can't really rely on it, you know. So you'll hear these things that, oh, they sound really good. We don't have any original manuscripts. It's all copies of copies of copies, which is how God chose to preserve his word, and that's a blessing to us, and we could talk about that. But the, really the, the, the thing that comes into our life is doubt about God's word. Does God really love us? Can we count on God? You know, that's really what, you know, the devil was saying up here at the top of the mountain, on the top of the temple, looking down, jump off. Do you really think you can count on the Father? He's like, I don't have to test him. I don't have to jump off of a, I don't have to do something stupid, you know, to prove that God is good for it, good for his word. Okay, I know he, he, he sustains me every day. He has been faithful for my whole life. I can see many, many different instances which God has never failed, even though I fail many times. And so 
as we as he comes and presents these you know fresh these uh, attacks and these temptations to deviate from God's word we have to know God's word right we have to know it and understand it and believe it um there uh no sorry um Right, so this is um, so this is something that continues to be in effect. Um, people continue to say, "Well, if you believe that all this these um, writings from thousands of years by dozens of people, you know, if you believe this is some sort of you know divine revelation, you're simple, you're not educated, you're uh, naive." That's been going on since the very beginning. We shouldn't be surprised when people say that. Okay, but the fact is, the Bible has stood the test of time. You know, if you are hearing these attacks and you have maybe, you know, been to, you know, lectures or classes or heard people say these things about the Bible, then I want to let you know that the Bible has had scholarly attacks for dec- for hundreds of years, for centuries, and it has always stood up to those things. So if you're struggling with any of these anti-biblical claims, then I encourage you, dig into it, study it, okay, because the answers are there. And just because some educated person wants to say that they know best doesn't mean that they do. All right? The Bible is not afraid of, of strong, hard criticism and analysis because it has... Everybody who has really... I will say this. The people I know, those who have really dug in to, to disprove the Bible and to study these things have almost always come out believing in the Bible. So these educated people and these people who attack the Bible will do so at a very shallow level, okay? Character descriptions, uh, you're, you're simpleton, you're naive, you're not really educated, um, but they never really look at the evidence for the Bible because let me tell you, it is there. And more so than, than the, the textual evidence and all the, the scientific and scholarly proofs, let me tell you that just living life is the best testimony to the, to the truth of Scripture. Just living life following that, uh, continuing to do that. But I just want to, again, encourage anyone who may be struggling with some of these things that there are answers and uh, dig in. Um, I don't have all of them, but I've studied this a bit, and I'd be happy to talk with anybody. We may even do some other teachings on this at some point of the text of Scripture and the trustworthiness of Scripture. But all that to say, you know, this is one of Satan's most fundamental attacks is the attack on God's Word. Because if the Bible's not true, then all the rest of it falls apart, right? All the rest of it falls apart. So our foundation must be on God's word. So if we look at, we've seen the three strategies, doubting God's provision, doubting God's plan, doubting God's word. What's the solution to Satan's strategy? Well, knowing and believing God's word, as I alluded to a minute ago. Um, you know, it's great to have the Bible in your pocket all the time, and it's great that you can always you know, whip it out and things like this, but there are times when it's just useful to, to have God's Word hidden in our hearts, to have it, you know, memorized. And so I know memorization is sort of, you know, out of um, favor as far as a lot of things. A lot of schools don't do memorization as much anymore. And, um, but let me tell you, uh, I think that's a mistake as far as even just the general education because our brain can connect things in many, many different ways and can make connections even when our spare time and our downtime our brain is constantly working. It's always making connections and, you know, strengthening things together and um, figuring stuff out. But can only figure stuff out with what's in there. You know, so we don't put stuff in there for our brain to meditate on 
then is just going to meditate on what is there, which might be, you know, the latest songs, or what, the latest lyrics to whatever songs out there, or the the last uh, meme you read or saw on, you know, TikTok, which is, you know, better hurry and get your TikTok in. It might be going away, right? Um, I don't know if you saw anything. You're talking, they had the CEO in front of Congress last week, but who knows what's going to happen there. But knowing God's Word and believing it, um, this is the simple solution. This is what Jesus did. He, every temptation that came up, he just reminded himself of the truth of Scripture. Hey, I'm not just a body. Man doesn't live just by bread alone. You know, I've got a soul as well. Okay? Um, yeah, we're not going to test the Lord. Our, our man shall only worship God alone and no one else. So whatever's enticing me to worship it or you or him, I'm not going to because I can only worship God. He's the only one worthy of worship. And then, you know, we're not going to put the Lord God to our test. As I read in our opening psalm this morning, talking about the time that the Israelites put God to the test, you know, and that was sinful on their part. Um, but knowing Scripture is the way to combat these, these temptations that come along. And what does it mean to really know and believe God's Word, but to know and believe Jesus? You know, and if you're here today and, and you're not a, you, you've, you've not come to a position of faith in Jesus, then all these solutions, all these you know, things aren't going to really help you. Um, you're going to be uh, wide open to Satan's strategies and these attacks that he's going to bring against you because the foundation is the Holy Spirit within, which comes when we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. So that's where it begins, and if you've not done that in your life, then today could be the day you would do that. Uh, I pray that you would uh, um, you know, talk to me. I'd love to talk to you more about how that can happen, how you can become a follower of Jesus. Um, but that is the beginning and the most important part to overcoming temptation. So I hope this has been a, a helpful lesson. It was definitely helpful for me. I just want to remind us, again, of the uh, description, the definition of temptation. It's a suggestion that I leave God's path of the cross and eternal fulfillment for the path of indulgence and immediate fulfillment. And uh, we should always resist that suggestion. We should never give in to it because it never has our best interest at heart. It will never end in anything good or healthy. It will always lead us away from God's um, perfect plan for us, which is that abundant life and joy and peace. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for this story that has been preserved for us, this narrative of these events that happened um, to Jesus, and uh, how we see that the Satan's a real person, that he really has um, a desire to see us fail. He has a desire to draw us away from you and from your plan for us. And so, Father, I just ask you to help us to take these truths and uh, make us more aware um, to, to know that he is roaming around like a roaring lion looking to see those who he may devour and that uh, through your word and through your spirit, Lord, we may resist those things through knowing those things and believing your word, through knowing and believing Jesus, Father, that uh, you continue to work in our lives to conform us more and more to his image. And uh, we do so in the confidence that all these things are worked together um, according to your good purpose for those who are yours. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.